Hello, it is the VBAC link, and you are with Megan and Julie, and our guest today, Tanya. This is episode number 79, but guess what? It's not really. I mean, it is, but it's not. It's confusing. It's 100. This is our 100th episode. It's 100. We have put out 100 episodes, and we are so excited about this. We're so proud. I'm proud. Is that? I'm proud, too. I'm patting myself on the back We've worked, right now. We worked a lot. It's a lot. Do you know how many studio hours and how many figurings and how many... When we first started, Quite we would hide in the closet from our We've kids. We've come a long way. We have come a long and way. And if you have been with us the whole time... Thanks for hanging around. Message us today. <laughs> message us. And let us know... Let us know how you think about the VBAC, like what you think about the podcast and how it's evolved, how it's evolved. And I'm sure Hopefully it's a little bit better I'm sure right you've now. heard episodes <laughs> where I've been driving in the car because I was on my way to a birth or on my way from a birth and my husband's car that has a the little trunk ding. sensor <laughs> going ding in there. <laughs> I actually recorded in our garage semi- once. Yeah. Fun fact. Special episode number one with Dr. Cormano. I was in my car I was in, in the garage too. and it was hot and I was sweating, but I didn't dare turn the air conditioner on you didn't want it to blow. because I didn't want it to blow and make noise. <laughs> That's the one that I think there's a semi driving by because I Dude, was driving 45 minutes to I was a prenatal. sweating. I'm like, it's a good thing nobody can smell this podcast because oh it would be gosh. pretty rank right now. Let me explain a little bit how this is episode number 79 but it's really episode 100 so we have we categorize our episodes in two different ways first one is episode and you can tell by the the little letters ep at the beginning so ep 79 stands for episode Episode. 79 or like regular episode 79 and then we have our special episodes which are numbered differently so we start our special episodes over at number one so you can tell the special episodes by SE, standing for special episode, zero mm-hmm. one, zero two, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera, all the way up to now we've done 21 special episodes. And so 21 plus, plus 79 equals 100. And that's where we are Happy today. Happy 100th episode. We're excited. I feel like we should have cake right now. I mean, it's not yeah. our birthday. But this is a big deal. Why did nobody bring cake? I don't know. I don't know either. I don't know. We I should. would rather have brownies. I'm not a cake person. You are a brownie girl. We could have brownies with frosting. Then it's like Mm. a compromise. Yes. Well, we are really (laughs) excited. And it really has been an amazing journey. It like it really, really has. It's it's been super fun. So we are excited to get Tanya on the phone today. But of course, as always, we have a review of the week, and Julia's gonna read that to us before we kick off Tanya's story. I'm really excited about Tanya's story today because it's um, a circumstance that we haven't ever had. Nope, it isn't. On so our it's episode. a hundredth episode and it's something we've never talked about. Yeah. Ba-boom, boom. So. Double what, whammy. Double whammy. Pa-pow, pa-pow. Megan's <laughs> doing like little finger guns over here. It's a double whammy. <laughs> Gosh, I wish sometimes we could just be recording know, us because huh? then you guys could see how, how nuts we really are. <laughs> um, anyways, the cool thing is um, Tanya's. Uh, has an abnormal shaped uterus by cornet maybe um, uterine diet. I don't know how do you how do you say that, Tanya? 
How do you say that? Did Didelphus? I've never even heard of that. Yeah. Actually. See, so this, so <laughs> she's very unique in her journey through her C-section and her V-back, and so we're excited to have this unique spin for our hundredth, but number seventy-nine episode. Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> but like Megan said, first things first, which is the review of the week, and this one's from our friend Kara. L on Facebook. She's a local doula here, yes, actually. She is. And she says, this podcast is so very needed. Julia and Megan are full of knowledge and all the latest information surrounding cesareans, TOLAC, and VBACs. Their VBAC childbirth education online course helps mothers realize their options so they don't believe the old, inaccurate adage, once a cesarean, always a cesarean. And that is old. That stuff is old. It's older than our episodes it is older than (laughs) doing podcasts on cell phones in the car is 1916 old that's how old it is so if you actually haven't figured out that that phrase is outdated and the misconceptions about that leave us a comment in our facebook group or on our post because we like to talk about that and we also go into detail in our VBAC online course but before i just take over this whole episode i'm going to stop talking right now you are tuned in to the VBAC Link podcast with Julie Francom and Megan Heaton, VBAC moms, doulas, and educators here to help you get inspired for birth after having a C-section. Together, they have created a robust VBAC preparation course along with this uplifting podcast for women who are preparing for their VBAC. Although these episodes are VBAC specific, they encourage all expectant moms to listen and educate themselves on how to avoid a cesarean from the get-go. The purpose of this podcast is to educate and inform. It is not meant to replace advice from any other qualified medical professional. Here are your hosts, Julie and Megan. All right. Welcome back, you guys. Tanya, we are so excited to dive in, so I'm going to turn the time right over to you. All right. Thank you. So as you guys mentioned, I have an abnormal shaped uterus, and that's kind of a key thing along my whole journey. And the actual shape is kind of to be determined. Um, With my first pregnancy, they told me that I had bicornuate, which is a heart-shaped uterus, but one, so kind of like two horns or two humps, just like a heart. And then my second pregnancy, they said, actually, it's not bicornuate, it's uterine didelphus, which means two separate uteruses and also two cervixes. But then, and I'll kind of come back to this a little bit later, but when I had my, with my doctor that I had my VBAC with, he was like looking at my post-op notes and he's like, I don't know if you actually have either of those. <laughs> so I am five months postpartum with my VBAC now. And Yay. he said that we would do some more testing once I reach six months. So I've got about another month and I'm like, please, I just like an answer. So I'm looking forward to that for sure. A couple of things about an abnormal shaped uterus, they kind of lead to like three different things or three most common things that happen with that is one is preterm labor. The second is malposition is really common. And then the third is growth restriction or being small for gestational age. And I kind of experienced all three of those between both births and both pregnancies. So Owen is my C-section baby. That's my C-section uh, baby. is now. Mm-hmm. Owen. Is it? People have oh, a C-section so baby sweet. named Owen. Good name. Oh, I love it. It is. It's so sweet. <laughs> and he's so sweet, too. I came from a family of girl, all girls, and so I actually have two boys now, which is crazy, and I just adore them. So, but, so Owen is a little over two. He's 28 months. And then Liam is five months old, so they're 23 months apart. 
and everything went normal and healthy with Owen. He just got stuck breech. So he was my malposition mm-hmm. baby. I carried him until 38 weeks. Uh, we had scheduled a C-section for 39 and 1, but I had spontaneous labor at 38. So the night before I came downstairs and I told my husband, Matt, I was like, I don't know what he's doing. I feel like he's doing pirouettes inside of me, but he is like twisting everything up. And I think that that was exactly what put me in labor because when I had the C-section the very next day, the cord was around his neck five times. Whoa. So, Whoa. Yeah, quite a few. <laughs> so with an abnormal shaped uterus, they won't do any sort of ECDs. And I think I even remember Dr. Stu saying that one time when you guys had mm-hmm. him, they won't do versions for an abnormal shaped uterus. And typically the baby will get stuck right around like between weeks like 30 and 32 or so. Unlike, you know, a normal shaped uterus, babies can still flip even late term in pregnancy or be flipped, but they won't do any sort of versions with an abnormal shape. So Mm -hmm. when he got stuck breech, we were stuck breech. So on the medical end, everything went as it should have for my C-section for the surgery, but a little storm was brewing inside my body and I had complications later on. So he was born at 4.23 p.m., And then right around midnight, my nurse was coming back to take out the catheter and take me to the bathroom. And as soon as I sat down, I passed out and I had hemorrhaged. Oh, my gosh. Yeah. Um, And I came to and I passed out two more times before I finally came to fully. And my room was full of nurses and doctors. Um, They did an ultrasound to confirm that there was no retained placenta, which there wasn't. And normally there wouldn't be with a C-section. But I was also forming a lot of blood clots as well. So the residents at that time, me and Julie extracted all of those, which, as you know, with a C-section, which is a major surgery, I was taking pain medicine accordingly, and it was still still excruciating. Yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Um, My nurse later told me that she basically did like a manual DNC right there at the bedside. And I was like, okay, that's what that was all about. So that whole part was pretty traumatic for me. But amidst all of this, since there were so many people in my room, they had asked if it was okay to send Owen to the nursery until they got me stable and taken care of. And we said that was fine. And then uh, once I was stable, Matt went to go get Owen. And of course, I have no recollection of time at this point, sometime in the middle of the night. And Matt came back with a nurse and he was in tears. When Owen was born, we thought he was doing this really, really cute little coup, which turned out to actually be him struggling to breathe. (laughs) So he didn't have anything serious, but what he had was called transient tachypnea, which is just fluid on their lungs. And it just needed some time to resolve, but he was working too hard to breathe. And so then he was also that one of those other things, he was small for his gestational age. So he was Mm -hmm. 5 pounds, 11 ounces at 38 weeks. And so with him working too hard to breathe, he was just working then too hard to regulate his body temperature and everything. So they put him in the NICU and the NICU nurses affectionately referred to it as little white boy syndrome because apparently transient tachypnea is most common with Caucasian white boys or Caucasian Caucasian boys. boys. (laughs) Yes. And as cesareans because everything doesn't quite get squeezed out of them. So he had about a week to stay in the NICU, 
And that was a pretty crazy week for me with the complications I had from hemorrhaging. I actually had like a five-day stay, I think it was. But that whole five days or week, I was down. I was on a loop of about every 90 minutes from my room to another floor to the NICU to nurse him and then back up to my room to sleep and eat because you don't really rebuild blood and heal from surgery without resting and eating. I even remember a nurse in the NICU at one point, she kind of stopped me. She's like, are you okay? You're really white. And I was like, I'm fine. But inside I'm like, no, I'm not okay. I just had a major surgery, a major blood loss, and I have to go to a whole different floor to nurse my baby. I don't even have time to order my food and eat it in my room. Like, but yes, I'm fine. (laughs) We are kind of walking super people, I think, after we have a baby, honestly. So at that point, uh, we got home about, you know, a week or so later, we both came home from the hospital. And I actually still had a really rough first three weeks postpartum. I and right at that three week mark, I ended up passing quite a large blood clot that landed me back in the doctor's office. And um, as it turned out, I had been bleeding more than I should have been all along, which I didn't know, you know, they tell you, you're bleeding like a heavy period. And that's relative to the person because every woman is different. And so I wasn't really sure if I was or not. So they ended up giving me a diagnosis of uterine acne, which basically means that my uterus had not contracted back down. So where the placenta like from, was still attached. from birth? Yeah, it's just... Yeah, from the, birth. Yeah, so three yeah weeks we later. just had a client ask us about it. It's just when the uterus doesn't cramp down, so that's why they give, like, Pitocin immediately after birth to help with the uterus cramping. Well, I know that, but this was, hemorrhage. like, a long time. Yeah, so if it doesn't get caught, then... <laughs> Anyways, go yeah, on. Yeah, it it actually is super eye-opening, and that could be a whole other tangent I could go on yeah, about. Yeah, maybe we should do um, a special episode Hard care for women. <laughs> yeah, you totally should. It should be sooner than six weeks, because that could have gone on a long time. Had I not passed that clot, I very well would have probably been bleeding more than I should have been all the way up to six weeks, and that's a long time. (laughs) So at the doctor's appointment, they gave me a prescription, and it resolved it almost overnight. It turns out you feel a lot better when you start building the blood back that you actually need for your body. (laughs) So that first three weeks was a super blur for me. But beyond all of those things, which were certainly very specific to Owen and his delivery And I was like, it could happen again. It could not happen again. But then in my mind, having a C-section equaled all of those complications. And I know that it doesn't. Like people, women can have all sorts of complications delivering vaginally. But for me, because that was my only experience, that was what that looked like. But there were so many things that kind of happened for me mentally and emotionally through the C-section surgery that I was like, I do not want to go through that again. Anything from I feeling like I was going to vomit. And I actually remember having the thought, I feel like I'm going to throw up. I might choke and die. And like mm. that, of course, now sounds completely irrational. But in the moment, like that's what goes through your head. Yeah. Yes. It's very, it's very real. But thankfully, I didn't not die, but didn't, <laughs> I didn't vomit. But I was really in and out. I was barely, barely coherent. And all I wanted to do is fall asleep. And I remember my husband continuing to say, you can't fall asleep. You have to stay awake. We're going to meet Owen. He's going to be here so soon. But I just don't even remember hardly having my eyes open at all. And then I think the thing that was probably the most devastating for me was 
I don't even recall hearing him cry when he was born at all. Mm. And I, I do, though, distinctly remember Matt saying, like, like kind of yelling, like, give me my baby, let me hold my baby. And at that time, he was fine. They just took him over the table to assess him. But that was, like, all the only thing I remember about the whole time, like, of what was going on around me. And I just remember being, like, I think I'm, like, the fourth or fifth person to hold my baby. Like, I'm, like, way down the line of people that get to hold my baby. And so between that and just not even remembering, like, hearing him cry, I was, like, I don't want to experience any of those things again. Like, I want to be present and I want to... uh, feel like I know what's even going on in this whole process, you know. At the time, there were a couple of times throughout Owen's first year that I had kind of felt like it was a traumatic birth, but I was like, I don't know if it was me or if, it, if you know, maybe birth by nature is a traumatic experience. And so it wasn't until he was about 10 months old that I really realized, like, no, nope, this, is this is his specific journey, like my journey with him, that it was pretty traumatic. And so... At that point, I kind of gave myself until his first birthday to, like, pray about it and work through it um, mentally and emotionally. And I was like, if I don't have any peace about it by his first birthday, I'm willing to go to counseling because I don't want to be angry about it and have all of these negative feelings about his birth and just birth in general. And so I actually really felt like by his first birthday, even though it was only two months, that God kind of gave me a peace about it in two ways. One of them was, this was Owen's birth story, and it's the only story he gets, and it's how he was brought into this world. And it wasn't fair to him for me to have all this, all these negative emotions about it, and I needed to embrace it for what it was. But then the second thing that I felt like was resounding throughout my pregnancy with Liam was that I felt like God gave me this piece that I might get the opportunity to have more children and more birth stories and a healing and peaceful birth experience. But this is Owen's only story. And so Mm -hmm. I really clung to that a lot. So Owen turned one in June, and then we got pregnant with Liam in September, just three months later. So Liam's birth. So this is where things get real interesting and fun. So at my 10-week appointment with, like, my first ultrasound and everything, was when they told me I had two uteruses and two cervixes, which here's the fun fact. Usually when someone has an abnormal shaped uterus, they only have one kidney as well. So I also learned I only have one kidney at that appointment too. Uh, apparently. Girl, that is crazy. Yeah, I know. I know. I know. I'm, I'm like, thank, thank you that I like got through my whole life without having any kidney problems. But yeah. um Apparently, like, when I, like, we are in utero, you're, so they call it malarian ducts, like, your your female organs, those are all formed at the same time your kidneys are, and the same for males as well, but usually if there's an abnormality with one, there's an abnormality with the other, they kind of accompany each other. Yeah, that makes so, sense. So yeah, so that appointment was kind of radical for me, and was like, what is going on? So Owen was on my left side and he was stuck breech and Liam was now on my right side. And when they told me I had two uteruses, I was like, wait a minute, would this even be a V-back? Like that, if my left side was cut, then this is like a whole extra uterus. So oh it wouldn't even gosh. be a V-back. I'm like mind blown right now. I know. Cause it, I know. I was like, hold oh. on. I'm Go like, ahead. I have so many questions. <laughs> I know. Oh my goodness. 
so we actually had like no routine prenatal appointment. Like every appointment was like an hour long because we had so many questions. Yeah. Yeah. So I was going to a practice where we saw midwives and OBs. And because I knew I wanted to have a VBAC, I was like, well, I'm going to see the midwives. And when we found out that I had, you know, it was a different shape uterus and so on and so forth, the midwife was like, well, let me consult the one OB who's on call, who's here right now. And he turned out to be the OB that had done my C-section. Mm-hmm. And he right away was like, no, we won't let anyone with an abnormal shape uterus be back. And I was like, what? This is like nonsense. an all-in-one it's appointment. Nonsense. They're like, yes, all-in-one appointment. I'm like, an abnormal shaped uterus that is not what you told me on my first pregnancy and I have one kidney and you're telling me like crushing all my hopes and dreams of this pregnancy right and now. you're pregnant in the different so, uterus yeah who knows what that side's gonna do so, um, so yeah over the course of those next you know monthly appointments I kind of alternated between midwife and OB the same midwife and the same OB and I was told like the gamut of all the reasons that you don't want or that, that are like your red flag indicators that they're not supportive. The OB went into, he even made the, made the, the stereotypical, like, well, if it was my wife, I'd want her to schedule a VPC section. I wouldn't want her to do that. But, ah, I know. So uh, they literally said all of these things. They were like, well, because of your abnormal shaped uterus, you have an increased risk of uterine rupture, which means that you have an increased likelihood of it it being a catastrophic rupture. And if it is catastrophic, it would mean a hysterectomy. But worst case scenario would be maternal fetal death. <laughs> and do they like, know all that? Like, said. I can't imagine that there's probably been any studies at all on this. Like, because it's so well, rare. Or is there? Yeah. Like, I don't know. Like, do you really know? Like, does is there like numbers to, sh- to prove what he said? Do you know? Well, so yes and no. So I'm kind of, kind of jump ahead and then I'll come back. But Sorry, we ended up questions. switching to a maternal. No, that's okay. We ended up switching to a maternal fetal medicine doctor. And he told us that he was like, here's, he was pretty much was like, here's the, here's the nitty gritty. He was like, there are no statistics on people who have an abnormal shaped uterus because statistics on uterine rupture are based on women who have a normal shaped uterus mm-hmm. because they're if for women who have an abnormal shaped uterus, there's so much variation there that they don't take them into consideration when they consider the statistics and they publish these studies. Yeah, for and sure, because so everyone's probably so like, different. If I had to, yeah, yeah. Well, and to the point, he was like, I mean, even in my experience, one pregnancy to another and then kind of changing my diagnosis and then after my delivery with my VBAC, he's like, I don't think you're actually either one of those. And I'm like, okay. <laughs> So they, so he was like, if I had to guess, I might put you in the risk category of a vaginal birth after two cesareans. And he was like, but that's really just an educated guess. And he's like, mm. but there aren't any studies done on that. Yeah. So yeah, that was a really good question because there's not, but they're telling me all these things, right? What's kind of a, a rub for me is that you can't get, when a doctor tells you those things, that's, you know, this trusted physician and someone who you think is supposed to be taking care of you it's hard to get those thoughts and those words out of your head it, and is it definitely stirred up fear in my husband and I both yeah so you have to work I had to work <laughs> and my husband had to work really hard to really switch to the mentality that my body was made to birth a baby like that was literally how God designed our babies to deliver a baby not by surgery but vaginally mm-hmm. and that I can do it mm-hmm. because it just stirs up so much doubt in you and 
I feel like this is such like an elementary or middle school thing that type thing to say, but I feel like that's just so unfair. <laughs> like it's unfair that OBs do that, that they instill this doubt in you that, you know, those of us who do have the back, we have, have to fight for that mentality and we have to fight the urge of that doubt in a way that people who haven't had cesareans don't have to fight it as much, I don't think. So each appointment, we asked a ton of questions related to VBAC. And I really feel like we asked all the right questions. Like we asked, you know, how many times have you seen a uterine rupture? Or, you know, in all your years of practice, if you have seen a uterine rupture, how many times has it been catastrophic? Have you ever had to do a hysterectomy? Have you ever seen maternal field death? And, you know, I honestly don't even remember what their answers were but I know that they never gave us numbers like they never were like well I never actually have had a mother die or like they mm, somehow like moms. eat around the bush and um <laughs> yeah it was so frustrating and and the midwives supported what the OB said like all the way and I was like I don't understand this you're supposed to be like the more natural minded or that you know people come to you because you're more for the patients than than medically minded or than medically minded and pushing surgery and all this time like I still can't shake like I just don't feel like I can schedule a C-section like that just doesn't make sense to me because to me like there was no medical cause for it the only reason was because I had had a previous a previous C-section and so we left every one of those prenatal appointments just feeling really defeated and disheartened and disappointed. And kind of like, oh, gosh, I didn't mean for those all to be these. But those were all the things that we felt, like all such negative things. And for an otherwise healthy pregnancy, and just that, that didn't make sense to me as to why we just kept feeling that way after every single appointment. And so I was like, you know what? we'll get through the anatomy ultrasound. We'll get about halfway through the pregnancy and we'll see if this baby stays head down or in breech position. Cause if it's breached, then it's going to be a repeat C-section anyways. And it's not worth all of like the stress and the headache and the anxiety about all of this. Mm-hmm. And he, Liam stayed head down and I was like, okay, well I'm getting a second opinion about this. Yeah. And so yeah. mm-hmm. that was when, Oh my gosh, it was, I was so glad I felt so spurred on for that. And so I'm in Ohio, Northeast Ohio, and I had been in, and I still am, but I had been in this Northeast Ohio VBAC group. And one doctor's name in Cleveland, which is about 45 minutes from me, I had been going to this practice like 10 minutes away in a hospital 10 minutes away. So I know many women go much farther, but 45 minutes felt really scary thinking about driving while in labor. But his name just kept coming up time and time again. And I was like, you know what? Let's go to him get his opinion. And then I saw he was a maternal fetal medicine doctor. And so I was like, even better. He sees the most complicated of cases. If he thinks it's safe for me to have a VBAC, I'm going to move forward with this. But if he thinks there's a reason that I should have a repeat, then I'm okay entertaining the idea of it. So that was about 23 weeks. And he was so patient and <laughs> in this appointment. I'm pretty sure we were with him for like 90 minutes, which is a really long time. But we asked him, like, almost all the same questions we asked, you know, the doctor and the midwife closer to home. And he was so patient and he was so upfront and honest and direct. He gave us direct answers to the questions we asked and including, you know, on the flip side, the risks involved with C-section and having multiple C-sections. And 
we just appreciate, like, he had no skin in the game. It was just a consult, but he gave us so much peace about, like, this is what you're looking at. However, we birthed this baby and you need to make the decision that's best for you. And he just practices so, he practices giving informed consent and believes so much in with women having autonomy that it was just such a breath of fresh air. And in that one appointment with him, we left feeling so hopeful and so much at peace with, you know, attempting to be back that it was like no question that we needed to switch at even if we didn't switch to him, we needed to switch from where we were at because we didn't feel peace at any leaving any appointment from there. So at 25 weeks, we switched to him and decided we were going to make the 45-minute drive. And <laughs> he had expressed to us that his goal was for me to make it to 34 weeks. And in my mind, I was like, okay, well, that's a great goal, but I carried Owen to 38 weeks, so I'll probably carry this baby until right around that time, too. Like, I I really kind of laughed to myself about the idea of Mm -hmm. only making it to 34 weeks. But sure enough, my water broke at 34 and five days. Oh, my gosh. And, yeah, I was like, oh, man, things happened really early. But I was so in denial. We had no hospital bag packed. In fact, I had to do laundry in order to pack my bag. Um, But no contractions started. No labor began. In fact, we had actually just hired our doulas the night before. So um, they left our house. Yeah, they left our house at like 7 o'clock on like Tuesday night. And they were when they were leaving, so... um, we were looking to hire one, but, and even, and you guys know as doulas and just how you practice, you know, you kind of give about a month window for a birth, like a couple weeks before, a couple mm-hmm. weeks after. And when I had reached out to this doula, she was like, I was like, so my OB thinks I'm going to go early, as early as 34 weeks, but I also could carry the full term. I'm so, I know that's like a six week window and very large and long, but I'd really like you to be my doula. <laughs> you got to make and, exceptions um, sometimes, like as a doula. The client that I, I just had had a baby, I was on call from her for her from 28 weeks on because she has a history of prematurity. Okay. And she didn't deliver till 36 weeks. So I was on call for her for 10 weeks. I'm oh, so glad man. she needed that okay. one. But as a doula, you just kind of, sometimes you got to make exceptions and you got to modify how you practice a little bit to meet specific needs of, of each client. Yeah, and I was so glad that she did. And so that was kind of how we ended up with two because it was kind of like, well, depending on when I would go into labor, there was a window of time in a couple of days that the woman I reached out to, Kara was her name, Mm -hmm. that she would not be able to do it. And so Emily came along with her and she was like, if you're okay, we'll both kind of tag team. And I was like, hey, more support. I'm all about it. So literally they were leaving our house at like seven o'clock at night and they were like, we should probably send a group text just, you know, for whenever the time comes and in case you guys have any questions. Oh, my gosh. Little did I think I'd be starting that Your text. Your intuition was speaking to you. <laughs> I know. Oh, my gosh. It was crazy. So I woke up that morning to my water being broken, and I called my OB, and he was super chill about it. He was like, you should probably come in so we can make sure that it's your water or not, but take your time. No worry about rushing. And something that was super cool about the whole thing which not that it was cool to be going into labor or having a baby at like 34 35 weeks but I had made a pretty long list of specific things I wanted to pray about and was hopeful for 
throughout my pregnancy, throughout labor and delivery. And one of the things on the list was that I might know labor was near before it actually was so that I could enjoy my last moments with Owen and Matt. And I actually worded it exactly like that. Like I worded like my last moments, not like my last days. And so I just thought it was kind of comical because I was like, well, my water broke, but I didn't have any labor. I didn't have any contractions. So it was. I still got those last moments of knowing that it was going to be be that way. But I just, I so much was, I was fearful that labor would start and I wasn't going to, I was going to miss out on like those last moments and those last opportunities. And so something that funny that happened that morning was I took Owen to a park that was near my house and I just wanted to just enjoy him as my only baby for a little bit. And two different women were like, oh, that's so sweet. You brought your son. How? And they were like, how far along are you? When are you doing? And I was like, well, my water broke this morning. And they were like, oh, okay. <laughs> <laughs> yep, I ha- I'm here with my son. <laughs> it's okay. We're all right. So we came home. We put Owen down for his nap, packed our bags, and then left to go to the hospital around 4 o'clock. And so since I was not quite 35 weeks, they went ahead and gave me a steroid shot for his lungs. And I asked when the second shot would be, and they were like, oh, it's 24 hours later. And again, I was in complete denial. And they were like, I was like, I probably won't still be in labor, but I was. And all in all, I ended up being in labor for 30 hours. We ended up starting Pitocin right around 1130 that night. So 17 hours after my water broke, because I still had had no labor, no contractions, no nothing. And that was a really hard decision, too, because I have a really patient OB, but, you know, I feel like he's still a doctor and still in a hospital. And so there's still going to come a point in time where there's a, a limit on how long water can be ruptured. So, so I didn't, I hadn't wanted any Pitocin. I hadn't wanted an epidural. I hadn't wanted anything, but I kept having to remind myself that I needed to be flexible with my plan when the number one goal was to have a VBAC. And so... I needed to kind of take each step and each decision in stride. And remember, too, that, like, I'm at least at a point where I'm still able to be making decisions. And with Owen's birth, like, I didn't get to do that at all. So we started Pitocin around 1130 that night. And fast forward, about 8 o'clock the next morning, they inserted the Foley And that got me from one to three centimeters. And at that point, labor finally started to pick up. It was super slow up until that point. And then right about six o'clock that night, so we're over 24 hours, water ruptured, and we are (laughs) coming up on 24 hours of Pitocin. I had kind of reached where my final place was in labor, Around 9 o'clock that night, I was at 6 centimeters dilated, 100% effaced in station 2. So that was like 39 hours of water being broken and 22 hours into Pitocin. And my body actually never progressed beyond that at all. So... Um, this, so that was this about next part is interesting. Yeah, I, yeah, it gets pretty interesting. I saw your note. I um, saw your note. I'm like, I can't wait for her to tell this. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I know. I like. I share it with people, and they're like, "What? what? Yeah, like, that's what I want to know." Thing. Yeah, yeah. So about nine thirty. So it was nine thirty, and we, I was kind of thinking, and I it was twelve o'clock, one o'clock in the morning. 
and the baby started having some decelerations and so I had to stay in one position on one side and at one point she gave me an oxygen mask because she was like this will help the baby have more oxygen and I was like at that point I was really starting to think I feel like these are head- this is headed in the wrong direction because then they were also starting to turn off the pitocin so that he can recover and I was and then they had to start it back at the most base you know at the beginning and I was like no we're backpedaling so we were thinking that we wouldn't see my OB until probably morning time like later morning unless things progressed before that but they hadn't and at 3:30 in the morning he came in he had just had another patient deliver And he kind of sort of ran through the status of things and he went into the conversation of we may need to consider what direction this is headed. And I, Mm -hmm. I feel like I knew that because Mm -hmm. it had been, so this is three 30. It had been six hours of like no progress and nothing changing. And what I really appreciated is that he just, he didn't even say C-section and that might seem so silly, but like he just kind of was like, we might need to consider where this is headed, but not like, we're going to have to do a C-section. Like to me, like it wasn't like, well, we're going to cut you open, you know, but he was like, he followed that with, but let's check you and see if we've progressed at all. And I had just had a resident check me 20 minutes prior. And I kind of was like, I was just checked. I have not progressed in 20 minutes, I'm sure. But he was my doctor and he was the one who makes the final call. So I was like, sure. At this point in time, what's one more check? And so he checked me, and like I said, I had still not progressed beyond six centimeters and 100% of face and station two. And he he checked me, and he was like, okay, I'm actually going to have you push. And I was like, what? Like, you, like five minutes ago, we were just talking about what direction this is headed. And at that point, I'm, like, mentally, like, we're headed towards the C-section. And I was not mentally, like, let me get ready to push my baby out. And so what he did was he manually dilated me the rest of the way, which I was like, I didn't even know this was a thing. And like how? Yeah. Yeah. I'm just wondering, like, did he just advance? (laughs) Like, cause. He just pushed your cervix back. Well, I get that. But like. Yeah. That's just like, yeah. Like it's. It's a little unorthodox. Well. Like people don't typically do that. Well, at that point, like nine and a half. Yeah. You know. Sorry, keep going. Yeah, no, yeah. <laughs> so many questions. So, um, my, so my doctor's name is Dr. Stetzer, and he, at my follow-up appointment, he jokingly talked about how he Stetzered the baby out. And I was like, did he just call that a thing? Like, Wait, but he what did. did he say? He called that a thing. He said he Stetzered the baby Stetzer? out. <laughs> what is Stetzer? Yeah, his, Stetzer name, his last name was Stetzer. Oh, yeah, oh, 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 gotcha. Okay, making oh, the yeah. connection now. Yeah, I'm he like, hey, yeah. I'm like trying that's to really think of like cool. that's yeah. funny. magic power or that's something. Funny. Yeah, I love that. So some ju- good juju oh, in there. Something to that effect, yeah. And so I didn't really understand, like, what was happening in the moment. And I don't remember. I feel like it was my doula. But someone had used the analogy that, like, when you're, when you're 100% effaced, your cervix basically is like a thin rubber band versus a thick rubber band. And so, you know, a thin rubber band, you can stretch out much more easily than you can a thicker rubber band. I and that was pretty much what, what he did. That's what your midwife did with you, Megan. Maybe. I mean, she did. So, she did advance my cervix. But I don't. 
Maybe just, like, that's what she it. did. Shoop. So, what, censored? She <laughs> demeter. Yes. She demetered the You were censored and I was demeter. <laughs> and I... Yeah. Nobody touched my cervix. <laughs> See, you know, I'm going to have to ask her, because I'm pretty sure I actually was six centimeters. But you were yeah. so thin that it was easy to just, like... Boop. I'm interested now. Yeah. I'm going to text her, because I actually... Now that it's, like, dawning on me, I really think I was... Keep going. This is a really yeah. good episode. It's an awesome one. We're learning lots of stuff. Yeah. So, yeah, I know. I know. I'm I'm to all sorts of surprises. Uh, my body is, I guess. But, yeah. So, he manually dilated me the rest of the way. He, because I was so early, he had expressed to me that he thinks that the reason my body didn't continually di- continue to dilate was because I guess your body releases a collagen as you get later on in pregnancy, mm-hmm. and that's part of what allows your cervix to fully, fully dilate. So he was like, I really think that that's why you just kind of stopped where you were. And so I did have to have a vacuum assist as well, but then we had a successful VBAC. And I think one of the things that really surprised me, so a couple things. I actually didn't review my birth plan with him at all because uh, my water broke on Wednesday and my next appointment that I had my birth plan already for was Thursday, but we didn't make it to that appointment. And one of the things that I'd always heard that of people doing is, you know, either pulling your baby out or catching your baby. And I had never really given thought to if I wanted to do that, if I didn't want to do that, how I felt about it or whatnot. But he told me to reach down and pull my baby out. And I just have to say, like, that was absolutely the most amazing part of all of it. I mean, I'm mm-hmm. super thankful that I had to be back, but, you know, I wasn't the fourth and fifth person down the line to hold my baby. Like, yeah. I grabbed my baby and brought him skin to skin to my body myself. And that, it was like, it was as if as the whole world stopped. Like, nothing else in the world existed but me and my baby. I feel like what it reminded me of is when you watch TV and you see you're watching anything and you see the one person just still and all of everything else around them is like blurred out because nothing else is going on and like time stops for them. Like that was what that felt like to me. And that moment was just worth everything so much so that, you know, we would like more children and I'm like, yes, I want to get them myself. Like no one else touch them because I want to be the first because that was just amazing for me. And so I think some things that I was just super, super grateful for in the end was that God had allowed me to have that healing and redeeming and peaceful birth experience that was part of what he'd given me a piece about from the traumatic birth with Owen long before I even got pregnant with Liam. But also, I think just even the opportunity to see that birth is an incredible incredibly beautiful thing like I I mean it feels silly to even say this but I mean it's a euphoric experience it's not just beautiful like it's just it's so mind body it's mental emotional it's physical and I mean obviously you have healing and you have a recovery you have to have from a vaginal birth too but that doesn't even compare to having surgery for sure. Mm-hmm. But I'm glad that I just don't have birth as this like marred experience in my mind and it being a traumatic thing that it was just the isolated experience and that I was able to see that it was just, it's a super beautiful thing. And 
And also I'm really thankful because I was like, if we have, you know, I'm open to having more kids, but if a second birth goes the same way that this first one did, like I'm going to be done it too. And we would really like to have four kids. So I'm really glad that that it went much better and that that door is open for more kids. So, yeah. Well, I'm just excited to hear about your, what you find out about your uterus. <laughs> oh my goodness. I'm excited too. I hope I yeah, can follow will up with you guys. Please let us know. I'm, <laughs> Yeah, I'm I'm super curious. Like this has just been such an eye kind of like eye opening episode. I feel like we don't need a whole lot of like educational piece at the end because I feel like the whole episode there's just like a bunch of little tidbits here and there. And I feel like your story kind of like fills in this gap for something that we've been missing in our last Mm. 99 episodes Um, (laughs) because there's people there's people out there like you that need to know that there's someone like them. And now, yeah. now we have you and we have your story that we can share with everybody. And so um, if you're, as you're listening right now, I want you to go to our social media pages, Facebook or Instagram, we're just the VBAC link, super easy to remember, and find Tanya's episode image and go and comment, comment about either like the most important thing that like stuck out to you or if you have an abnormal shaped uterus, like give her a fist bump and we're going to tag her and so she can message you back and comment back as well and let's get a discussion going in also being our 100th episode we want to know like what stuck out to you the most like in the past 100 episodes that we've had like yeah, what's, what's your, your favorite, favorite moment episode too? yeah or your favorite episode your favorite moment or or mm-hmm. even just like a general feeling um we would love to hear and we want to see um your feedback on not only this episode but what what is your favorite part about the past 100 episodes mm-hmm. now? Well, thank you so much, Tanya, for being here with us. Your story is thank incredible, and it's going to inspire a lot of people. And I am so glad that you were episode number 79 slash 100. Yeah, thank <laughs> you. slash 100. So yes, fun. and I want, I just so much want women to really just seek out that doctor. I know that that is all that you guys are about, but there were so many times throughout my labor that I just thought, gosh, at 24 hours of water ruptured, a doctor would have made a different decision. And at, you know, six hours of no progress, I would have been labeled failure to progress. And there were so many points that a different provider would have definitely stepped in and been like, this is where we need to go. And this is what we need to do. And mine didn't do that like at all. And, and, you know, he kind of suggested it towards the end. And I just want that experience for all of women because all of women deserve that opportunity and that experience too. Would you like to be a guest on the podcast? Head over to the vbacklink.com slash share and submit your story. For more information on all things VBAC, including online and in-person VBAC classes, the VBAC blog, and Julie and Megan's bios, head over to thevbacklink.com. Congratulations on starting your journey of learning and discovery with the VBAC link.